On today's episode of The Door Report, presented by Alaco Finewood Floors, I recap Vanderbilt's loss to Mississippi State 74-69 to over the weekend. I also preview their matchup against Florida, tipping off tonight, Tuesday, March 1st at 7.30 p.m. We also give a quick recap of Vanderbilt's sweep of Army over the weekend and preview their upcoming matchups against Central Arkansas and their four-game series at Hawaii. We also have a quick little update on football and what to watch with spring practice beginning this month in March. All that and much more coming up on episode 148 of The Door Report, presented by Alaco Finewood Floors. Let's ride. At Vanderbilt, it's Tim Corbin in the Vandy Boys, Jerry Stackhouse on the hardwood. And Clark Lee on the gridiron. Nashville, it's time to sit back, relax, grab a cold one, and enjoy the show. The Music City is our state, and West End is where we rock. You're listening to The Door Report, the premier Vanderbilt podcast for fans who believe black and gold. Commodore Nation, anchor down. No strings till the hank comes out. Make all the drunk girls scream and shout. We love it, we hate it. We're all just trying to make it in this crazy town. Welcome into episode 148 of the Door Report, powered by Alaco Fine Wood Floors. I am your host, Will Byram. Unfortunately, unable to be joined. By my usual co-host Billy Derrick, who had some scheduling conflicts and some things that he had to get done today. So you're stuck with me. Congratulations on this lovely first day of March in 2022. You get to listen to my beautiful, beautiful voice. Recap a pretty uh, loaded week in Vanderbilt athletics and look forward to a loaded week as well. We'll get into the Mississippi State loss, uh, 74 to 69. The Commodores fell in Starkville. Uh, fl- we'll get to the Florida preview. Um, that game will be tipping off tonight at 7 p.m. Uh, that game or 7:30 p.m. My apologies. That game is a blackout. Vanderbilt basketball announced that they will be doing a blackout tonight for that game. That could go two directions. That crowd could be sparse there with a 7:30 p.m. tip on a Tuesday night with a team that has lost four of their last five. Postseason hopes are looking dismal. Uh, dismal, I would say, is the right word. They need to turn it around here late in the season in order to get that NIT berth, as you do have to have an above 500 record or 500, a 500 record or better to be eligible to receive a berth in the NIT. So that is the target for Vanderbilt, as well as not playing in that opening round game, which seems like it is a high likelihood of happening with the loss to Mississippi State. But on the brighter side, The Vandy boys were in action over the weekend. They swept Army. We'll get into that as well as preview their upcoming matchups against Central Arkansas and Hawaii. Uh, Also, at the end of the podcast, we'll get into some quick football notes with with, uh, spring practice actually kicking off this month in March. So that seems crazy. Seems like the season ended uh, just uh, last week while simultaneously ended forever and ever and ever ago because there's been so much turnover with this staff, so much turnover with this roster. So you're going to be looking at a pretty brand new Vanderbilt team on the field 
in the spring. So that there will be a lot of storylines to follow. We'll do a quick touch on some of those notes, as well as a transfer that Vanderbilt just got in a commitment from a Syracuse running back that will add some depth to that running back room alongside Ramon Davis, who will be returning from injury. But before we get to that and more, don't forget to follow us on Twitter at door underscore report and Instagram door dot report. Like us on Facebook, subscribe to our YouTube channel. Our podcast is available on Anchor, iTunes, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. And while you're at it, Give our podcast five stars and a review on iTunes. It's now time for breaking news. No matter what style you're going for, you can trust your flooring job to a Laco Fine Wood Floors. Take a walk through the woods in your home every day. Get your flooring job started today by calling 615-356-0303. A Laco Fine Wood Floors. Craftsmanship you can stand on. All right, we'll go ahead and jump right into it on the diamond. We'll start off with some positive news and some positive results from a Vanderbilt athletics team. That would be the Vandy boys. Normally, the team that is bringing a little bit of a bright spot onto this podcast outside of that opening weekend uh, series they had against Oklahoma State. But they were able to turn it around against a lesser Army opponent. Shocking. I know when they're not playing a top 10 opponent, this team looks quite a bit better. They still had some issues. There were still some issues in these games that reared their ugly heads, whether it's strikeouts, whatever, with the pitching rotation not necessarily being set as to who is necessarily a starter versus a reliever versus somebody who's actually going to close out the game and get those swings and misses you want late in the game and not allow the ball to be put in play and get base runners on the base pads. But game one, Vanderbilt was able to win 7-2. to McIlvain started. I don't want to comment on the individual performances because I want to be completely honest. I was box score checking these games over the weekend. I was actually not in Nashville. I was in Charleston visiting a friend and his wife for uh, for their birthday or her birthday. So I, I was not able to catch these games and watch like I normally would try to. But I, I was able to see the games uh, and then see what people were saying online. And it seemed like when I was reading Twitter that you would think that Vanderbilt had lost these games and was performing very poorly, but they were able to win game one, seven to two. Like I said, game two, they won 10 to seven, uh, not necessarily the best pitching or a defensive performance from Vanderbilt, but they were able to put up 10 runs. We saw a little bit of Christian little. He did have some control issues. He had three strikeouts as well as three walks. So that was a little bit to see. Maybe he can get that under control and go in and become one of those guys in that starting rotation, because we know from what we've seen when he was able to pitch on a big stage last year, it's just 17 years old, that he's a guy that does possess the ability to have four pitches. And when he's on, he can be damn good. And that would be huge for Vanderbilt with the team that is trying to replace two elite level starters in Jack Leiter and Kumar Rocker. And that's another thing with the podcast Billy recorded on episode 147 with Aaron Fitt of D1 Baseball. They get into evaluating just how big of a hole it is to fill guys like Kumar Rocker and Jack Leiter and comparing them to teams like UCLA in the past or Rice in the past that had to replace guys. And, and it's not that it's unprecedented. But Aaron had a great point there in that segment two interview portion of episode 147 of the door report, where he said that it's not that it's unprecedented to have two top 10 picks out of the same rotation lost in the same year. It's that these teams had great talents, 
but these great talents didn't necessarily have great years leading up to the draft. They still had great talent. We're still top 10 selections, but Kumar Rocker and Jack Leiter were both all Americans. These guys had great seasons and were great talents. So you're filling, trying to fill a huge gap with just a conglomeration of these guys. And regardless of what Billy Bean from Moneyball would like, like you to think, it's just not that simple. You can't just fill the star power and the control and the steadiness that a pitcher brings to that lineup on a team that has struggled with a little bit of inconsistency on the offensive side. You're just not going to be able to replace that, especially early in the season. It's very early. Vanderbilt's 5-2. and two. They've got upcoming matchups against teams that should be very beatable with Central Arkansas. First pitch is at 4.30 p.m. today. This is not a good baseball team in Central Arkansas. Vandy should move to 6-2. and two. They're 1-5. They have huge losses to Missouri State. I think they lost one of those games by 17. Missouri State's a good baseball program, but so is Vanderbilt. They were also swept by Southern Illinois. So this is a game, a tune-up game, midweek game, exactly what this team needs leading up to a four-game series against Hawaii, who's not a bad team, not a bad program, but definitely a program that Vanderbilt should be looking, even on the road across the country, they should be looking to win at least three out of these four, including that doubleheader. I think Hawaii's sitting at four and four right now. Uh, They haven't made the postseason since, I believe, 2010. I might want to fact check that, but I'm not 100% sure. But that's from reading reading up on the upcoming opponents. I believe it has been all the way since 2010, uh, since they have tasted postseason play. But Vanderbilt should hopefully go at worst four and one, three and two at absolute worst in these upcoming games. Hopefully we get a little bit more of a view into what this pitching rotation is going to look like going forward. And maybe this team can clean up a few of those strikeout issues that that they seem to be having that seem to get a little bit better uh, in this Army series, but hopefully they can continue to improve. Enrique Bradfield, just a note, he's leading the SEC in stolen bases. Uh, he has six. I believe the next closest has two. Expect that gap to widen. I don't see that changing anytime soon. I think it's going to be awesome to track how many bases Enrique is going to be able to steal this season and compare it to the next best because that gap is going to be huge between him and the next closest guy on those individual statistics. So there we go. We've got baseball. I think I named off the central Arkansas times. Let me look at the Hawaii baseball schedule for the weekend. I don't want to give you incorrect times. It looks like March 4th at 1035 PM Vanderbilt will be playing game one of that series. On March 5th, that next day, Vanderbilt will be tipping off game one of a doubleheader at 5.05 p.m. And on March 6th, Vanderbilt will be at the first pitch of game four will be at 5.05 p.m. on March 6th. And of course, that series like normal goes Friday, Saturday, and then March 6th being Sunday with game four being played there. But you have Hawaii, so you have fun times and and fun times if you're going to be trying to watch those games, especially game two of that doubleheader and that first game on Friday night, not even starting until 1035 p.m. Central Time. So good luck. Drink your coffee. Get your energy drinks ready. It's going to be a long weekend if you want to try to stay up and uh, listen to or watch the Vandy boys take on the Rainbow Warriors in Hawaii. But that's all we have for baseball here. Now it's time to get into the meatier, beefier part, main main course of this episode, which is going to be basketball. We have a very brief period here where without 
the likelihood of too much extended postseason play here. Uh, very brief amount of time remaining here to discuss this team and this roster under Stackhouse in year three. You've only got games remaining against Florida and Ole Miss with Florida tipping off tonight at 7.30 p.m., like I mentioned. But I want to take a step back to Mississippi State. Vanderbilt lost 74-69, to guaranteeing themselves a losing season in conference, unfortunately. Uh, they were unable to get over that hump, so they're sitting at 6-10 and right now, uh, sitting in, I believe, 11th place. So they are currently going to be playing in that opening night game, barring some miracle happening. Texas A&M is currently sitting right above them at 7-9. and Of course, Vanderbilt lost to Texas A&M. Texas A&M has the tiebreak over Vanderbilt, so they are really two games back from Texas A&M, not one with two games remaining on the schedule, so Vanderbilt would need to make up two games in two games. So it, it's not looking good for Vanderbilt. Hopefully they are able to maintain in the same way. They're two games ahead of the next closest team below them, and they should be playing Georgia in the opening round of the tournament, which will hopefully be a confidence-building win, and hopefully we can see Vanderbilt win more than just one game in that tournament. But to Mississippi State, this team is faltering late. Guys haven't really stepped up on the bench and in this rotation like we had hoped they would. Pippen had 32 points. He's been fantastic this season. Every team has their entire defensive game plan built around stopping Scottie Pippen, and they still can't do it. He scored 32 against what is a very good Mississippi State team, but guys around him were unable to produce. Jordan Wright only had 10 points, definitely did not play his best game. You need a lot more production out of Jordan Wright if you're going to expect to beat these teams that are in the middle of the SEC. So before I get to the main points that I want to touch on, and I've got about seven or eight written down here, and some are quick and some are a little bit longer with some more stats backing them up and relating to them, I do want to do a quick run through this box score. I already touched on Pippen's 32 points on 10 of 16 shooting, 4 of 9 from 3, 8 of 9 from the free throw line. Also threw in two steals, four assists, four rebounds. He did have five turnovers. Liam Robbins was limited to just 15 minutes. He actually fouled out of the game, just three points, one of five from the field. He actually only attempted one shot from inside the three-point line. He was one of four from three. That's not really what you want to see from your seven-foot, seven-foot-one, 250-pound center. Uh, that you want to see him maybe get a few more paint touches, a few more shots, at least inside the arc. QMB put up 10 points, about as much production as you're going to get from him in that center spot. He once again was very productive, played a great game, six rebounds, three of six shooting, 10 points, four assists. He did have three turnovers, but played a solid game there in that five position. Tyron Lawrence, 23 minutes, zero points, three rebounds, three assists, no steals, one turnover. That's one of your starters playing 23 minutes, giving you zero points. That's a pretty tough, tough spot to be in, regardless of if you have your star there and Pippen scoring 32. It's hard to bounce back from two of your starters, providing a combined three total points. Liam Robbins more related to foul trouble and just not being able to get into the rhythm of the game. But those weren't the only two guys that weren't able to produce. Miles Studi coming off the bench played 18 minutes, zero points. Taryn Frank actually played 14 minutes and was two of two from the field, one of one from three with five points. He caught a and made a pretty good uh, 
pretty good assist there from Drew Weikert, who also played a hell of a game, putting in seven points with one assist. That assist I mentioned was was quite pretty. If you want to go see it, it's on the Vanderbilt men's basketball Twitter. Uh, they, they passed it out there for a mid-range jumper for Terrence Frank, who buried it and actually played some pretty solid minutes. I know we went on a little bit of a tangent talking about the rotation last week, but have to give credit where credit is due. Uh, he didn't necessarily play the best. He did have one turnover, uh, was only able to bring down one rebound. It was an offensive rebound, but he shot well from the field, put in solid minutes, and was able to contribute when Liam Robbins was unable, unable to play due to foul trouble. Drew Weikert, you're not normally going to get seven points, but it's the other parts of this bench. Miles Studi, Trey Thomas put in zero, playing only six minutes. Shane Dizoni, zero, only played four minutes. Gabe Dorsey scored two, playing nine minutes. So when you go into the bench and the bench scoring, that's when things get concerning. And that's been the problem with this team all year. When you have one injury, it feels like there's no hope and there's no depth. Rodney Chapman going down with that injury and re-injuring or whatever it was. I don't know if it's a new injury or re-injuring or just old stuff coming up, but this team was completely different with him playing consistently and playing well, having that secondary ball handler, allowing guys to come off the bench like Tyron Lawrence. I don't think Lawrence is necessarily ready for a starting role, but you bump him down and then it allows you to situationally play guys like Trey Thomas and Shane Dizoni and Drew Weicker, as opposed to having to just play them normal minutes due to just your lack of depth. And then you throw in the fact that Jermaine Mann has been injured and out after he was playing extremely well early in the season even though he's undersized, it provided depth, solid rebounding. I believe he's averaging the most, the second most rebounds per minute. Uh, we'll get into those stats here in a second. I'll get them pulled up and make sure that is right. But this team's just limited, and they just have no depth, and we'll get into the scoring here. So off the bench, you have Studi, Thomas, Dizoni, and Dorsey. Those four guys off the bench played a combined 37 minutes, and they scored a combined two points between all of them. 37 minutes, two points. 37 minutes, basically, when you think about it from this perspective, there are 40 minutes in a basketball game. Each team has five slots on the court with 40 minutes of each. So basically 20% is one player, so 40 minutes. So those guys basically played one-fifth of the game or one-fifth, one of those slots, and they contributed two points. So that's 2.9% of Vanderbilt's 69 points that they scored that game, just 2.9% were contributed by 20% of their minutes on the court. That's not a sustainable way for success when you have four separate guys playing significant minutes that are just not contributing on the offensive side of the ball. Studi, that's more, he was just over four from three. Some days the shots just aren't falling. And for whatever reason it is, the last couple of games, they just haven't fallen. He hasn't seemed in rhythm. I'll get into that at one of my later points. But to get into these minutes and scoring a little bit more, Tyron Lawrence also played 23 minutes, zero points. So add that to those other guys, like I mentioned. So you have Miles Studi, Trey Thomas, Shane Dizoni, Gabe Dorsey, and Tyron Lawrence. Played a combined 60 minutes. 30% of your team's minutes in Vanderbilt for just two points between those five guys. That is the problem. Defenses don't have to worry about those guys scoring, and they are taking up a significant portion of the playing time on the court, and they're just not producing on the offensive side of the ball, which is why Vanderbilt is struggling to beat these teams because they are able to compete 
with their starting five, even with the injuries, this team is able to compete against middle of the pack to upper tier SEC teams, even with the injuries. Where the issues happen is when this team has to rotate out two, three, four guys due to whatever reason it is, fatigue, natural rotation of the game, injury, foul trouble. It's a black hole of offense. You immediately know until we get the main guys back on the court, until you get two, three, four usually of the starters, the opponent is going to make a run. And that just isn't the case for Vanderbilt's opponents. And it's not just the fact of having a, a guy, this is, this is so base level, the ask of just having a bench that can maintain what your starters do and not lose the lead. That's all that this team is looking for this year out of their bench because the starters are actually pretty solid. The starters are close to an NCAA tournament team, especially when they're healthy. I believe they are an NCAA tournament caliber starting five. The problem is not only does Vanderbilt not have a guy that comes off the bench like they have faced the last two weeks in Tolu Smith from Mississippi State coming off the bench and I believe putting in 23 points and Quinterly from Alabama coming off the bench, and I believe putting in 22, 23 points. Let me look at that box score. Yeah, Quinterly came in and scored 19 off the bench of 6 of 12 shooting, 3 of 3 for Alabama two games ago uh, off their bench. And then Tolu Smith, I believe, came in and scored 23 points. Let me get the box score from Mississippi State pulled up. Yes, he scored 22 points on 8 of 13 shooting. So those two guys in the two games have won that game for their team off the bench. They were able to not just have guys that can maintain the lead, but actually come in and provide a spark and expand that lead, a sixth man. When was the last time Vanderbilt had a true sixth man that came off the bench and you felt confident in his ability to change the game? That's what I think Stackhouse wants Trey Thomas to be. I just don't think they have the depth to even have a situational type of bench guy like Trey Thomas right now. It's more of a desperation situation if we just have to spread out these minutes. And I think Stack's in a tough spot and not being given enough credit when you have a guy like Rodney Chapman that we've seen how much better this rotation looks with Chapman compared to now when even with Robbins back, he's trying to mix and match these lineups that just really don't work together. You're missing a guy like Chapman, a guy that can really control the offense, control the ball, and get guys open and put them in scoring positions. So Stack's in a tough spot. I don't want to keep making excuses for him because there are issues within his play calling, within his late game management, within his rotation. But all of that right now is extremely, extremely hard to judge when you don't, you've barely seen him with even his fully anticipated roster this season, much less in the previous two seasons when he didn't even recruit the guys and still had injury problems. This season, he did bring in the guys that supposedly fit his system. They've looked pretty damn good when they have been healthy, even though maybe the opponents haven't necessarily been the best when they've come to 100% health for the brief periods they've had. This team has looked good. And so you have to take that and move into next season because, like I said last podcast, all is not lost with the end of this season. It was just two games ago. We were all feeling very optimistic. Me and Billy came on this podcast and we're feeling very optimistic about the future going into the games against Alabama and Mississippi State, even though they had lost two of the previous three. Just because they lost a team, lost two games to two NCAA tournament teams does not mean this Vanderbilt team is suddenly taking gigantic steps back. Vegas certainly doesn't think so. To move into the Florida game, Vanderbilt is a one and a half point favorite over Florida at home, 
given that, but still a one and a half point favorite over Florida tonight in the game that tips at 730. And I have a little bit of confidence and I have no reason at all for that confidence. There's nothing in the numbers that says this is a good matchup for Vanderbilt. And that's not a normal thing that I would ever say. I, I, I just have a good feeling. Vanderbilt has played poorly against Florida a lot of times in a row. You just feel at some point the lid has to come off the basket against these guys, against the Gators. And I just feel for some reason that is tonight. But to give the reason why that's not going to happen, because I think you can't just come on here and say, I have a good feeling, and then just move on. All right, let's watch the game tonight and see what happens. This is not a good matchup for Vanderbilt. So Vanderbilt when you get into the deep analytic data, which you know I like to do, uh, that, that Billy always says I'm a huge stat guy, huge stat guy. But Vanderbilt has not beaten a top 50 offensive efficient ranked team this season. They are 0 and 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9. They are 0 and 9 against top 50 offensively efficient teams. Florida, is one of those top 50 teams. Vanderbilt has beaten the number 52 offensive ranked team in the country in BYU in the Diamond Head Classic. They lost to number 57 SMU and then beat Arkansas at 59, and that's where Vanderbilt's wins tend to pick up there. But that just shows that Vanderbilt is able to beat teams that aren't able to score as efficiently. Vanderbilt's offense is good enough to beat teams because their defense is pretty good. Their defense is really good, actually. I don't, I don't want to dishearten that. They, they force teams to turn the ball over. They force teams into uncomfortable situations. And the offense just isn't there to beat teams that are able to go on runs against this Vanderbilt defense because the defense eventually, it just can't hold forever with the lack of depth, the lack of big man depth, specifically when you get past Robbins, and guard depth. It, it depth everywhere. I just named off every position, so we'll just say depth everywhere. But Vanderbilt struggles, especially against teams that score the ball inside, inside the arc. And Florida, as well, is one of those teams that scores the ball inside the arc. Vanderbilt has not beat a top 100 team in two-point field goal percentage outside of Winthrop. And Winthrop has their own problems. Winthrop turns the ball over a lot. They're not a very good basketball team. But teams that shoot a high percentage inside the arc, a high percentage when they attempt two-point shots, Vanderbilt struggles against greatly. And that's just because of a lack of post presence, a lack of a shot blocker. And Liam Robbins has changed that a little bit, but he has to stay on the court. Two games in a row, he has not been on the court late in the game. Two games ago against Alabama, that was because of a conditioning issue. He was unable to keep playing. He has to come out of the game around four and a half minutes, and Stack never put him back in. This most recent game was due to foul trouble. If Liam Robbins is able to stay on the court and be on the court in the last five minutes of this game, I feel confident that Vanderbilt will, able, will be able to pull off this victory, even with Colin Castleton, Florida's big man, returning for this matchup. But if Liam Robbins is not able to stay in this game and not able to be productive, Colin Castleton is going to eat Vanderbilt alive on the inside, and it's going to force either Liam Robbins or QMB to get into foul trouble. They need to stay out of foul trouble. Stay out of foul trouble. I cannot say it enough. That is going to be the key to this game and get Colin Castleton tired early. Run him. Move him, move him around. Make him switch. Guard guards. Run up and down because he's going to be just a little bit out of sync, and he's a hell of a player, so you want to throw him off, and he's a huge body. 
I actually think Vanderbilt, when Liam Robbins is able to play, matches up decently well. But the stats don't tell you that. So Vanderbilt fans, look into tonight. This is not a good analytical matchup for Vanderbilt, but I feel good. If I had to give a prediction, I would say Vanderbilt covers the one-and-a-half-point Vegas line. But I've been on a bit of a cold streak, so maybe don't listen to me. Maybe I'm just maybe I'm just a sunshine pumper now at this point, as I've been accused of in the past. That was a joke. If you're just listening to episode, uh, this is your first episode of The Door Report. But we'll get into football now, now that we've kind of touched on basketball. I, I, I wish Billy was on here to give his opinion. I've kind of run through everything I saw from those games, but maybe uh, maybe we'll be able to touch on a little bit later uh, in this week and we'll be able to recap this Florida game that hopefully comes out on the side of the good guys here in Memorial Gym tonight, once again, at 7.30 p.m. Central Time. One more thing that I want to get to before we end episode 148 on this solo podcast. Vanderbilt got some transfer news in the transfer transfer portal. Tough word. Cooper Lutz is transferring in from Syracuse, former wide receiver recruit, three-star. He came into Syracuse, played wide receiver, a little bit of running back. He transitioned over into a running back last season, played in all 12 games. For Syracuse, he was not utilized a ton. He's 5'10", 190. Seems to fit the mold of that Jaden McGowan, Katie Hutchinson prior to his decommitment. Uh, Katie Hutchinson decommitted from Vanderbilt, is now committed to Western Kentucky, but Jaden McGowan is still a Commodore, and this just seems Cooper Lutz to have a little bit of depth to that running back role, that running back rotation, and that, I don't want to say the Darius Sims role that seems to be kind of a mold forming there for Vanderbilt. We'll know more once spring practice begins, but it seems like a good move and just a natural fit. He was transitioned from a receiver to a running back. I have no idea why Syracuse did that. They have two guys ahead of him that both took a significant amount of carries last year. I believe one of the guys ran for over 1,400 yards. He's just a sophomore, two years of eligibility left. Uh, they, Syracuse had a guy transfer in from Mississippi State. It was just technically his sophomore season last year, so two years of eligibility left. Uh, Cooper Lutz was just stuck behind guys, and he just did not see a path to the field and transferred in to a program that maybe, potentially, he sees a path to at least seeing some significant play on the offensive side of the ball because he was a special teams contributor for Syracuse as well. But he did bust an 80-yard rush in 2020, so obviously a little bit of playmaking ability there if you're able to take one 80 yards to the house. Uh, and I do want to plug Robbie Weinstein's article on 247sports.com. It's a VIP article. Subscribe if you don't already. He does some great work over there. And if you don't want to subscribe, at least follow him on follow him on Twitter at RW Weinstein, W-E-I-N-S-T-E-I-N. Uh, the article he did previewing spring practice and some early things to watch was pretty great. I don't want to run through his article. Go and subscribe. I'll plug it again. Robbie does a great job. And if you don't want to subscribe, at least follow him on Twitter. So there you go, Robbie. If you're listening, uh, you got two plugs here on episode 148 without Billy. Uh, but going into spring practice and, and what we can kind of see, we've got April 16th, the spring game coming up. I don't want to get into too many specifics. I know me and Billy will talk once spring practice actually begins and we start seeing some reports of how this coaching staff is fitting together, but just the turnover in general just how much roster turnover there is, how this new staff and the new position coaches are fitting in and fitting together, and also how involved are these freshmen? How good is this freshman class? Are these guys that are plug-and-play, step-in, first day on campus, they're competing for starting roles? Or, these, or is this more of a developmental class? And specifically guys like A.J. Swan, 
Daniel Martin? How does Jeremy Lucian look, a transfer in from Connecticut? How is this offensive line going to shape out? I can pretty much name off every single position on this roster that could be an interesting position matchup and seeing where these freshmen are going to fit into the rotation. But linebacker with Daniel Martin is, of course, something that everyone has an eye on with Daniel Martin being, I believe, the fifth or sixth highest recruit to ever commit to Vanderbilt. And I believe the first Under Armour All-American to commit to Vanderbilt when he did that on national television. So a huge gift for Clark Lee. How quickly is he going to plug in as a starter, as a key contributor, as that star anchor of that defense? the offensive line, and then quarterback. I know that is the most obvious thing here, but there are a ton of questions. I think you know less going into this season, obviously, than you did last year. Is Ken Seals really in this starting quarterback battle after the performance last season? Are they ready to go the path of Mike Wright, the non-traditional, more mobile quarterback? Is A.J. Swan ready to step in from high school into reading SEC defenses and learning an SEC offense and Division I college offense as a true freshman. Most guys aren't. And even the ones that are pretty good are still pretty bad in comparison to guys who have been there for two, three, four years, even when they have a, in quotations, good freshman season. It'll be interesting to, interesting to see how A.J. Swan looks in spring practice, and I think we'll get an early glimpse at how much of Mike Wright is actually going to be competing for this starting quarterback job and how much are they going to be looking to utilize him in packages no matter what if he wins the starting quarter, quarterback job or not? Because right now, I would be pretty surprised if it's Ken Seals. I think it will be between Mike Wright and A.J. Swan. But stranger things have happened. Ken Seals could come out. He has a great arm. He has an NFL arm. It's just can that decision-making improve? Because it certainly didn't improve last year from his freshman season to his sophomore season. If anything, it regressed just a little bit. The running back position. This was a spot this team struggled last season with depth, mainly due to the Ramon Davis injury, but he's back. How is that? How is that injury? How is that toe? How is that foot? Is he able to plant and explode in the same way that he was before? Because a healthy Ramon Davis means a much better Vanderbilt football team. He was going to be the main focal point of this offense for the entirety of the season. And unfortunately, he had the injury with which just sent this team into even more turmoil. When there was already a lack of playmakers on this roster, he was one of the few, he was one of the few experienced players that had been a playmaker at at least a decently high level of college football in Temple. And unfortunately, his season was cut short and two and ten for Vanderbilt, a very disappointing performance. But this season, it's one of those times when you really say it can't get worse. The schedule is brutal. I, I don't see a path to really increasing the win total this year for Vanderbilt, but there are a lot of things to improve on, and that's why I'm excited for spring practice because I think spring practice means a lot more when your team is young. The progression guys can make in this month, month and a half, leading into summer workouts and summer training it can, it can be impressive, and, and I need to look at what the percentage of these guys are that are new transferring in, but I'm sure when Billy comes back and we'll do a full preview of this football roster leading into spring practice and especially leading into that spring game. And that looks like it will do it for episode 148 of The Door Report, powered by Alaco Finewood Floors. As always, thank you for listening. For myself, Will Byram, and Billy Derrick, who is unable to join today, thank you for listening.